Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey, everybody. Max Boltman here alongside Corey Promman and Scott Wheeler for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Chris Peters is going to join us in a little bit. But we are starting off here talking about the Team Canada World Junior Camp. Scott and Corey, you were both there, I believe. Uh, and we are going to dive right in with the B player of the 2024 draft class, Macklin Celebrini, the presumptive number one overall pick. And I, I guess we'll start with you, Scott. W- what are your impressions coming out of this camp of, of what Macklin Celebrini looked like? Well, I think everyone's impressions were kind of that he was the best player on the ice. Uh, Team Canada staff in the in their sort of wrap-up, both Scott Salmond and Peter Anholt said they were actually surprised by how good he looked relative to everybody else. He seemed a cut above. I think they were expecting him to make the team. They were expecting him to be a good player for the team. I'm not sure they were expecting him to necessarily be the guy on this team. And I think there's a real opportunity that he's... If not the guy, then pretty close. Obviously, it's the the true locks of the camp sat out. So we didn't get to see Connor Geeky. We didn't get to see Matt Savoy. Uh, there, were, there were sort of marquee players that are going to be a big part of this lineup that didn't play. But of the group who did play, he was really the, the, the best forward, at least, in probably both the games. When he was out there, it was consistent touches, consistent plays. He was driving offense. He was really carrying the puck a lot through neutral ice and into the offensive zone. And he, it, it was, it was, everything seemed to run through him. So that was, I think really, I think they were actually very excited about that uh, and kind of uh, pleasantly surprised, which if you can be that about Macklin Celebrini at this point is, is kind of a big deal. Yeah. I think with Celebrini, uh, like you said, stood out. He was the best player there. I thought not only was he great offensively making a ton of plays, as you said, you know, a lot of good exits and entries with, with, with the puck. I thought he was one of their best defensive players, too, up, up front. He won a lot of battles. He was very responsible defensively. Um, and he's like uh, – Celebrini, I kind of term it like it's just a guy who's just boring, very good. Like he made, like he's extremely skilled and intelligent and, and competitive, 
Like he he may not have the wow factor of a Connor Bedard at times in terms of like the game breaking skill and the shot. Uh, but I think every part of this guy's game is either good to excellent. Um, you know, he's been absolutely fantastic at Boston University. He was fantastic at the USHL, big part of the U18 Worlds team. Now he looks like he's been a big part of the U20 team. Every part of his game uh, just can really stand out. And I mean, this I always kind of thought when I when I watched him. Uh, when he was younger, that he could be like a Nico Hishier two-way center with pretty good offense type of player. But the more I've watched him over the last year and a half, and especially recently, I think this guy's got a whole other level to his game. Like I think there is the potential in his game to be a premier two-way player in the NHL. And I think it's going to start here uh, with the World Junior Team for Team Canada in terms of the mainstream exposure to this player. I mean, the biggest thing I'm hearing from from both of you guys here is that, you know, you talk about Celebrity's production. And I think last year when we talked about, or not last year, sorry, last week when we talked about kind of the, the differences and what to expect from Celebrini than say a Connor Bedard and Alexi Lafreniere, you know, the, the, the biggest differences in these number one overall picks at World Juniors is the role. It sounds like he's going to get the chance to have the role to showcase all of this. Yeah, I'm guessing he's either the first line wing or second line center on this team right now. I think that's the expectation. And I think they, they need him to be that because this team Canada isn't what the last two team Canada's that won back to back golds are. And they, they, they won't maybe say it publicly, but they care deeply. I think about another three Pete. It's been a long time since they've pulled it off and they're going, they're going to need him to be a, a star. Which players on this, this forward group do you think fit well with, with Celebrini and his game? It, it, I mean, obviously a player with the, the skills that he has, you don't have to work too hard to fit well next to him, but is there anyone you, you'd really love to see uh, them play with, with Celebrini at this tournament? Well, it's funny. I know they were a little disappointed in the way that Carson Rakoff played in the first game, and then they stuck Carson Rakoff on Celebrini's line for the second game, and suddenly Carson Rakoff looked like Carson Rakoff again, right? So I think he, you're, you're bang on there, Max. Like he just has a way of making other players look like their best versions. It did, it did seem like him and Jordan Dume, and they both spoke about it. it they felt like they were really clicking. So I think that's a pair. Uh, and it makes some natural sense. If if your first line is two-thirds of, of that Wenatchee line in Connor Geeky and Matthew Savoy, then it makes a lot of sense to have Celebrini and Dume, who are really after Geeky and Savoy, are probably your next two most prominent offensive players. And if they already feel like they've got chemistry, and if Dume feels like his smarts and his playmaking can play off of that that driver in Celebrini, and that's that's a duo. I, I'm not sure who the third player is going to be on that line. They could try Matthew Wood there. They could try Carson Raycop there. Uh, but it does feel like Dume and, and Celebrini might at least get a, a really long look here. It feels strange to talk about a 17-year-old as maybe one of your best two-way players and a guy who can be your most responsible defensive player uh, on a U-20 line for Canada. But I agree with that. And I think that you look at some guys who are more maybe offensive minded, don't have the same well-rounded game like Rakoff, like Dume, like Wood. Those feel like natural partners for a Celebrini. You know, Matt Savoya is very offensively talented, but there is a little bit more two-way in his game where I feel like that's maybe not the most natural blend unless you're talking about maybe a tough minutes matchup kind of line. Moving on to kind of the rest of the roster here, there was a name that I you know I was a little bit surprised not to see here, and that's Jagger Furcus, especially the season that he's having. Why do we not see Jagger Furcus on this team Canada, Corey? I think he was a little redundant in the lineup. Like in, in full disclosure, he was both in my and Scott's uh, uh, pre-camp projection for Team Canada. But I think you looked at this Team Canada. Um, you looked at Matt Savoy on the wing there, most likely. You looked at Jordan Dumais on the wing 
uh, for Team Canada. You have Easton Cowan now on this team too. Uh, and I think there was definitely, at least from what I heard, there was a concern, I think, within the brass that uh, that they were, if they put in a guy like Perkins, I think that forward lineup was too small. I think with potentially Savoy and Dume already on the right wing, you would have three, you know, small scoring wingers. And that was a concern. And frankly, Fer- you know, Perkins is a very talented, he's a great scorer, shoots the puck really well, very skilled, but he was quite poor at camp, I thought. Um, he had no pace in his game. And I think his skating has always been an issue, but I thought he was behind the pace at times in camp. Um, didn't create a ton on the power play. He looked he looked kind of dangerous, but in even strength, there wasn't much that he was creating. And I thought, you know, when he his whatever line he was on wasn't, and it wasn't just him. Obviously, yeah, line is always the, the contribution of three players, but his line and even strength in the two games didn't really contribute a whole lot. Um, you know, he wasn't really winning battles. Uh, in the second game, the fifth U Sports goal was a direct result of a, of a poor turnover he made in the offensive zone. Um, so it just it wasn't a good week. He's a good he's a good player. I still think he's a good pro, pro prospect for Seattle. Um, but his performance uh, this week, uh, I thought, just led to the cut. And like I said, I thought it was he would have needed to significantly outplay someone like Jordan Dume, I think, to make this team. And Peter Anholt, the management lead for this year's team, is the Lethbridge Hurricanes GM. He sees Moose Jaw a ton. Uh, in speaking with him after the camp wrapped up. I think he was on his projected roster coming in. He talked about how much he loves his competitiveness and his skill, and they felt that he could be a power play guy for them. They felt that he could be a, a, even a worker for them as well. They like the the sort of drive that Jagger Furcus plays with. And then he was actually pretty blunt, pretty surprisingly blunt after you've just cut a kid uh, in saying that they they thought he played poorly and he didn't rise to the challenge. And that was ultimately the the sort of decision point, if you will. So it literally just, I think, came down to the way that he played in those two U sports games against big, strong 23, 24, even there was even a 25 year old player on that U sports team. And he just, he wilted a little bit. And I think they were worried about that uh, in terms of where he fit in the, in the lineup, uh, how high he, he needed to play and whether there was room for him there, just uh, the, the slot started to fill up. And I think push comes to shove. They wanted the size of Carson Raykoff and Matthew Wood and some of the longer wingers to, to be a part of the group. The interesting contrast between how, say, Team Canada, at least recently in terms of how they make their teams compared to how Team USA makes their teams. Team USA has historically had uh, you know major competitive environments, playing other international teams, playing college teams, playing the NTDP as a way to evaluate their players in a competitive format. The Team USA of late tends to pretty much bring the team they're bringing to the tournament to their camp, plus minus a couple of players, essentially, who they cut at the last second. Whereas Team Canada, uh, to contrast, plays competitive environment games and plays a lot of value on those competitive environment games and making the hard decisions. You know, I, I, I think it's interesting to see just, you know, I'm not sure which process is, is the best one. But, you know, like you said, I think Fergus was on the team coming in, doesn't play well in those games, and now he's not. You don't see really see Team USA forcing themselves into those kind of decisions. How about on the blue line? Obviously, an area that I think we expect Team Canada to, to be a little deeper this year. Anyone really catch your eye, Corey? Well, I thought Oliver Bonk was was very good. I think he came in as a relative lock uh, for the blue line, and he, and he played quite well. And you know, with his size, mobility, puck moving, um, I, I I thought he he was you know pretty good. They had half of their blue line as locks coming in. Benton Matejchuk. Maverick, Lamarillo, Tristan Leno didn't play in either of the games against U Sports. So with those three pretty much locked in, and then Oliver Bonk, I thought he wasn't a pure lock coming in, but he had a very strong chance. 
And then it just left a couple of spots open on the blue line to, to see how the, the rest of the defense would uh, slot in. And those spots went to uh, Noah Warren, to uh, Jake Furlong, and Tanner Mullendyke. And, and, and Tanner Mullendyke, sorry. Uh, I, and Tanner Mullendyke actually only played in one of the games. Uh, the, the second game he was for, he was hurt coming in. And I think that just shows how highly they thought of the play. They only need to see him play one game, probably not at 100%. And he makes the team. I mean, he's been so good in the Western Hockey League this season. You know, a big part of a top Saskatoon team. Excellent skater, competitive, moved pucks well. Um, not really a shock to see him make the team. I think where Scott and I had some disagreements at the camp was on the play of Noah Warren. I like the play of Noah Warren quite a bit there. Uh, 6'5", mobile, extremely physical. Uh, his puck moving will never inspire confidence. There's a reason I think he has like four points in some, or something in like 25 QMJHL games this season. The skill, the offensive hockey sense are definitely issues. But I actually thought he was actually jumping up with the plays and to create offense. And uh, and he was, I thought, doing the things defensively you expect from Noah Warren. That's why he made the team kind of like a Nolan Allen role that he'll play this season on that team. Uh, but if you're expecting offense out of this player or even the crisp outlet passes, I, I think you're not going to get that from him. But I think in a 6-7 role on this team, he can have success. Yeah, I, I, I actually liked Warren jumping up into the play. He had two chances, one off the side of the post in the first game and, and another sort of good look in the second game where he was below the goal line and using his frame and jumping in. So that was that to me was was the positive piece. I actually thought he really struggled defensively. He was on the wrong side of the ice and caught out of position on two goals against in the second game and one goal against in the first game. There were a few moments inside the defensive zone where along board battles, a puck just sort of squirted loose from a battle, and he was t- he was the slower player, uh, sort of tracking back to the net against a U Sports opponent to get to a get to a chance kind of thing. Uh, so I just felt like he was the, a little bit out of position and a little sloppy and a little hectic in his own zone. Now that's maybe not what they they've seen in Noah Warren all year, and I'm, I think they expect him to be a, a more steady presence than that for them. And then the size element, I think, is is obviously a huge factor in that decision. So uh, as, as a 6-7, I don't think he's going to be a major issue for this team. But I do think if you're playing an American team or uh, even the Swedes in this tournament, that there's there's going to be some some mismatches with, with Noah Warren out there. I do just feel like he's maybe a cut below uh, the other defensemen that they brought. Yeah, I just think with the with the mobility and the the length and the physicality, I think if he's playing ten minutes a night, killing penalties, uh, I I like what he brings to the table. But obviously, he has uh, some limitations. Uh, but I think generally, this blue line they're going to be leaning on, particularly on the right side. Uh, you know, they have Lamaru, they have Luno. Like those guys will get the tougher matchups. Yeah. Coming in, I think we all knew the biggest question around this Team Canada team was in goal, and so I ask the jury, do we have a verdict? I don't know about a verdict yet, but there are some guys that I thought, at least if I had to make a bet right now in terms of how things are going to play out, that I think will be their guys as we get closer to the tournament. For me, I prefer the two QMJHL goalies. You know, Mathis Rousseau has been excellent all season in the queue. He had a, you know, a solid camp there for Team Canada. The side is a question, but I mean, this, all this guy does is seem to stop pucks. Uh, which is that's not something you could say about a lot of the candidates for Canada and goal this season uh, throughout the CHL. So I think they like that. And really the play of Samuel St. Hilaire has kind of come out of nowhere a little bit. A guy without a whole lot of high-level experience, but he looked uh, quite good in the C- in the QMJHL this season. I thought in the second game against the youth sports, he made some really tough saves and showed some quickness elements. He has decent size. 
Um, so I like the way he played. Scott Ratzlaff, who has also made the team, I thought, had some steady moments. Uh, you know, I thought Dom DiVincentis, uh, who was the one goalie cut, I thought deserved the cut. I, I, I thought he was, he's been underwhelming all season. And it's kind of interesting that the OHL goalie of the year, reigning OHL goalie of the year, is the one who does not make this team. But I, from what I saw at the camp, he seemed like the fourth of the four goalies. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of where things stand. I, I, I wondered early in camp whether they were whether Hockey Canada was starting to get nervous. Mathis Lousseau, who's actually been the best goalie of the of the four who they brought to camp, allowed the first three goals of camp. He allowed the only two goals in the red-white scrimmage and then the first goal of the first U Sports game pretty early on in that game. And then from there on out, I thought Russo was excellent. I thought Ratzlaff was good in both games. He gave up one goal in, in both of the games and was steady throughout. He's played under Alan Latang at the Helinka Gretzky Cup and, and won a gold medal at the Helinka Gretzky Cup under Alan Latang, who's this year's World Juniors coach. Uh, and then St. Hilaire, as Corey mentioned, just an awesome, awesome story. He wasn't even playing in the QMJHL until last year as an 18-year-old, and he was a backup last year. So his first year as a starter at the major junior level is as a 19-year-old this year. He's the starter under Gilles Bouchard, who's an assistant coach with Canada and Sherbrooke. So there's obviously some trust between between at least one member of the coaching staff in St. Hilaire. And he, as Corey mentioned, he was he showed some athleticism. He made some big saves, probably two or three of the bigger saves of camp. Uh, and I, I, it feels like he's he's sort of in the mix here as a as a bit of a dark horse. So I almost wonder whether because they have three pre-tournament games, whether they might give each of these guys one of the three pre-tournament games. And then you've got to decide on a tandem and a number three uh, at that point heading into the tournament. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I don't think anyone's clearly run away with it. My bet is the two Quebec goalies are their goalies when uh, a boxing day rolls around, but it's definitely not decided by any means. Yeah, Regardless of who it is, I mean, how should Team Canada feel about what they have going in? I mean, we expect you're going to see multiple goalies over the course of a tournament. Is this the Achilles potential Achilles heel of this team? I don't think you can be confident that they're going to win a game for you. I think you're just hoping they don't lose a game for you right now, which I think both, well, not both, all three of the candidates have the talent to to be that, to be solid, to be you know useful goalies at the world junior level. But I don't think you are looking to them as potentially the, the top goalies in this tournament. Although things can change, I would have, you know, I, you know, you know, Dylan Guerin wasn't much bigger than Mathis Rousseau uh, when when he was excellent for Team Canada. Same thing with Devin Levi. Uh, so maybe they can find some some match last year. Right, same thing. So you're not looking for great NHL prospects right now. Where you just you you just need someone to win you a couple of, of tough junior games. And the, I think the difference there is that both of the goalies for the Americans and certainly. Hugo Havlin for the Swedes, they can steal a game at this level. Same same with Adam Guyon for the Slovaks. So I, I think Corey's bang on there. They need, what, not 900 save percentage kind of quality goaltending. They don't need, uh, or they, they shouldn't expect a sort of 920, 930 situation here. All right, that is going to do it for this first segment. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll bring in Chris Peters and we will talk some Team USA. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. We are back, and we have brought in from Flow Hockey, Chris Peters. Hi. How's it going, guys? Good to be with you. Into the suite here uh, at Corey's Hotel. Uh, all together, which is always fun, and, and all together because we're all at the USA World Junior Camp. There is a, a downside to this, which is that unlike Canada, we do not have a completed roster yet as we sit here recording this Friday at 3 p.m. That means chance. If you're, here, if you're listening to this on Saturday afternoon, Something that we may say may be outdated by then, which frankly is longer than it takes for most things I say to become outdated. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so maybe that's a good thing. But as things stand, the latest, gentlemen, we'll start with you, Chris, I guess, here on sure. Rucker McGrory. That I think is where everyone's focus is at going into this camp. Yes, you know, we, we weren't sure even coming in, you know, would he be skating? Would he be available for that part? Um, well, he is skating, skating in a red non contact jersey. Um, he is a full participant in all drills. Um, the one thing that they have said definitively is that he has not been medically cleared to play, um, but they still have time. And we were talking on our last episode, would he even be able to get on the plane? I think we have a reasonable feel that, yes, he will. Um, whether or not that means he gets cleared for the tournament still remains to be seen, right. but they are going to give him every opportunity to make it. And based on how he's looked in camp, the only noticeable difference between him and the other players is that he's in a red non-contact jersey. He's he's played in every drill. Even when they're doing battle drills, he's in it. They're just not, obviously, not going after him as hard. But He's killed penalties. Yeah, he's been killing penalties. You know, like, that's the thing. And, and they basically have him what's slotted on what seems to be USA's top line with Kyler Goche and Jimmy Snuggerud. You know, whether or not that continues, we'll, we'll find out, you know, as they get into the pre-tournament games. But pretty clear that, you know, Rucker McGrory is is angling for his return. And it's really going to come down to medical clearance at this point. Yeah. And Canada announced 12 forwards for, for their roster. Uh, they left that one spot open for a potential NHL load or to add an injury replacement option later uh, in this process. You know, we kind of have seen the news lately that uh, as we record today, Matt Quattro is not playing for Boston. Uh, in, in their next game. So that's somewhat interesting. We'll see what that ad is. When USA announces the roster, the expectation is 14 forwards will be named on that Correct. roster. Yeah. And that uh, that's in there in the situation where McGrory can't go. They can injury stuff him out. I expect that he'll be registered on Team USA when, when the tournament happens, maybe not on the first day, but stop. he'll be part of the initial registration. And then if they figure that he can't go or he does go and then he re-injures himself for whatever reason, they'll bring him out and put that injury replacement forward in instead. Which yeah. makes them only have to cut two forwards at camp. Right, yeah, and that's that's an important thing. Like, USA will announce 25 players. They've said that up the whole way. Um, they can only have 23 active at one time. The goalies are decided in terms of three goalies, but the skater spots are still open. And to Corey's point, like, you know, one way or the other, there's going to be the capability of Rucker McGrory being added to the, that active roster. Um, so, you know, when you see that, and the other thing that will be interesting, USA opens a tournament against Norway, 
don't be completely shocked if they only register 12 forwards. I, I mean, you know, like it's impossible. As Corey said, we, we both think he's probably going to get registered for the tournament. But there's always that possibility that they don't register the full complement of forwards in order to leave that spot open and then make a decision based on whatever information they have at that time. Or how big of a difference maker is Rucker McGrody on this team? He's obviously an experienced player, a veteran player, and a multidimensional player. But this is also a very deep U.S. roster. Right. Even when we saw uh, them at practice today, he wasn't. This is a guy who was on the first power play unit at last year's tournament. He wasn't on either power play unit uh, uh, for for this team's uh, version, at least currently. That could change. I don't think it's just because he's in the non-conductor. I think that's because they, I do say, they have so many talented options up front. I think they just leaned in from the other direction uh, for their skill players, for their scores. But he's still. This is an extremely competitive player. He, if healthy, he is expected to be the first line left wing on this team play a significant role. I still expect him to score. I don't know if he's going to score on major levels without the power play opportunities. Maybe he takes out Danny Nelson on that one unit who maybe not. We'll talk about him later. Danny Nelson has looked very good all season and at camp, the Islander second round pick. Uh, but that's a possibility. He'll kill penalties. He'll still play a lot of even strength. Uh, but like I said, this is a very deep forward group and I don't think they can really lose. I don't think they really can lose anyone. Maybe Cutter Gochi would be the one guy, but I don't think they really can lose anybody from this forward group and lose a ton of momentum on that front because I think they have so many options and that will extend to their 13th and 14th forward decisions as well. So you mentioned Cutter Gauthier and to open camp here throughout the summer we had seen him play both at left wing and at center. The open camp it was at center and I wonder what that means for the guy who I think we had kind of been wondering is he going to take this Logan Cooley spot Uh, that'd be James Hagen's. Yeah, right. I think throughout most of the camp, we've seen that maybe Hagen won't play a prominent role. There was, I think, one moment in the second day of camp where he did go to the top line center with, with Gochi on the wing and Snuggerud uh, on, the, on the wing. But throughout most of the camp, he has figured more as a winger, and Gochi has looked like the guy that they will lean on uh, in those major responsibilities. We actually haven't seen Hagen on, on either of the three power play units that they've been rolling out in practice, uh, which is not a, a great spot for him, given that he is a skill guy, not really a penalty killer. You know, there's a chance he might open the tournament as a 12, 13, 4 type of option. But I thought when we watched him in the even strength drills today that he stood out in a, in a really positive way. I mean, you see what their alternative options are with all due respect to Quinn Finley, with due respect to William Whitelaw and, and, and to Kerry Terrence. I, I don't know how you can leave Hagen off the roster. Maybe he's not in the starting 12. They, you know, we thought maybe there's a spot he could fill in. He might still uh, fit into a certain spot, but he is, you know, a draft minus one. This is a very difficult for Duckman wanted to make Team USA and your money deep Team USA. Maybe he's the 13th. Maybe he's the injury replacement. I don't see how they can't bring him to Sweden, given uh, how dynamic a skater he is. I, I agree with that. You know, and I think the other thing, too, is is with, with McGordy, you know, you're talking medical clearance, and then all of a sudden, what, he's not available. Right. And I think that what, what we've seen from James Higgins, they have, they've even put him out there in those penalty-killing minutes. They, they, they tried everybody in PK, just so everybody knows. Like, they're... Basically, if they weren't on one of the top two power play units, they were pretty much killing penalties nonstop in this tournament or in this camp. But what what I that versatility is really key is where if, if James Higgins isn't on your power play, he obviously has to prove other ways that he can be impactful for the team. But then on the on the other side of it is too, is if if, if certain guys aren't going, you want that younger player with that skill level, with that, you know, I and I've always thought that the 13th forward shouldn't be reserved for a penalty killing specialist or a power play specialist. It should be reserved for a guy that you think you can plug in wherever you need to. And you get that, you know, so it's not just one, he does one thing. And I think that's what James Higgins can be. 
I think if there's one area where he hasn't stood out in this is that clearly the physical maturity is is a factor. And I think that we saw that in drills. I think that we saw that when he's even going head to head, you know, I, I saw him go one on one with with Lane Hudson. What a fantastic exploration that was in terms of seeing both how they both move and everything. But you could see, you know, Lane's got two years on him. He's got more muscle and different things that and, and obviously he's not a big guy. But you could see that difference in physical maturity. And so um, I, I just but to Corey's point, I agree completely. I don't see how you can leave him home. Now, the, the only thing is, is if, if you're taking 14 forwards and he's 14, I think you'd rather have him playing with the national team development program than have him with you in case there's an injury. But I still think he should be among the 13 forwards. That they take. And we talked last week about there is some value for these guys who you expect to play a role next year. And we certainly expect James Higgins to have a role in this team next year yeah. to bring them along and get them through that process. There's kind of a fine line to walk there. They did bring Spence Knight as a third goalie the one year. Yes. Yeah, they, do that off, they have done that often. Even. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I, I think that that, that is a factor for sure, especially since they have such quality among their, they're 19 year olds this year, but was we'll Demko the third goalie in his draft season? Too? I believe he was, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of there's there's just a lot of options that they have available to them um here. So we'll we'll see. But I, I, I do think the thing for me is if you bring James Hagens just as a as an active observer, that may not be the best for him long term. Um, but if he's there and he's playing, then that's a good thing. And I and the other thing is too is you know, what if Karagoche is not getting it done down the middle? What if you know, and, and what it all of a sudden you okay, we need to put Frank Nazar up there, we need to put up a different player. Um, having a guy like Hagens, who is very strong at the center position as a facilitator, can be a play driver. Um, I just think that that's 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 the kind of thing that I would prefer if I were that staff. Corey, you mentioned Danny Nelson a couple of minutes ago in the standout camp he's having. What is popping? This is a player who I think was so fascinating for so many reasons last year. The late surge, he's obviously got the history as a defenseman. But he seems to really be finding uh, his groove here as a forward. And even in his draft season, he didn't really play well consistently. There was a lot of moments, especially in the middle of the season, where you wanted a whole lot more from Daniel. You weren't sure whether he was a scorer. Was he a defensive-minded forward? Was he a hard player to play against? He lacked an identity. And he kind of found it toward the end of the season. Had a really strong U18 world for mm-hmm. USA. Scored a big goal in the gold medal game. And, mm-hmm. and was very good defensively for that team, especially in a PK role. Uh, then he comes into Notre Dame this season, and he's been liked out good for Notre Dame. He plays huge minutes. I think he's nearly play a point per game while playing in all situations and being a guy that can help a Notre Dame team that's winning a lot of games right now and, and being a big reason why they're winning games. So when we've been projecting Team USA uh, throughout the you know the, the pre-tournament process, dating all that the summer, we thought maybe Charlie Stramble is the fourth line center. Obviously not happening. Not even at camp. We thought maybe Oliver Morris can be the fourth line center. You know, played a Big role on team on team USA at the UA team level had that two way value in him, uh, but with what we've seen here at camp, uh, Danny Nelson has clearly shown that he can be that type of player for this team. I think Oliver Moore can still be on this team, but I think Danny Nelson looks like a little bit above those other options we're thinking of. Whether it is Terrence, whether it's Finley, whether it is Moore, and I think this is a guy you know with the size, the skating, the compete, and the offense that we weren't always sure was there has kind of come along with him more. He's actually on a power play unit. Oliver Moore is not right now. Um, you know, he has that net front presence with the size and the compete uh, that I think they want. And I, I think uh, he's going to, I don't know if he's going to play big minutes. Again, there's 
he could be the fourth line center, but then you have you know Nazar at the three spot, Will Smith and Cutter Goche potentially ahead of him. Uh, but I think he's going to help this team in a notable way. Yeah, I, I agree completely too. And he's throughout the two days too, just watching him. It's just like, not only does he clearly belong, he clearly belongs in, in where they like the, the situation they put him in had being on the power play, being the net front guy. I mean, he's been snapping around, you know, you're watching, they've got two elite goaltenders here uh, on, on this roster. And he was putting a lot of pucks at nets in drills where there was a competitive element to it. And so seeing him kind of snap it around the way that he was today, even, you know, as, as we sit here on Friday, that was eye opening as well, because this is a player that's now, he's been a number one center at Notre Dame this year for a lot of the year. And, and, He's the way that he plays is works there. It's obviously not the role that he's going to play here, but to Corey's point, I, he has found this kind of identity of like, I can impact the game in a lot of different ways. And I think USA, and, and this is probably why Nelson, on top of you know the season that he's had, beat out Stramel as well, is because there's now you've got a fourth line that you said, we can get goals out of this. We can get a lot. I mean, you, there's a there's the potential of number of players that could play there and, and maybe that means more as a wing on this line I still think he's going to make the team in some capacity but you know that's that's going to be fascinating to watch that dynamic but you know you think back to last year and Oliver Moore was the number two center for that U18 team and now Danny Nelson is is looking like you know he could play down the middle for this world junior team not even a you know not even a year later it wasn't there that, that weird dynamic of points last season too where Moore and Nelson were on the same line. That but, but yeah, yeah. And Nelson was a win. And then it didn't work out, and they had to move Nelson off. And it's just, it's funny, you know, development cannot always be a straight line, and uh, and players change substantially. Particularly, obviously, Nelson, as Max said, there were some uh, unique uh, things in his background with the lack of experience at the forward position, particularly. That doesn't make it too surprising. You know, we saw it kind of saw it with Keandre Miller with a very limited experience. You know, he was a forward historically, with yeah. limited experience at defense, up and down his draft season, ended it on an up, and then he just kept going up. Yeah, and there was actually a point during summer camp where I was like, maybe Danny Nelson's going to have to move back to D for this team because <laughs> they, they have to move back. Yes, because they don't have you know they don't have much size, and here's this six three guy. And, and you know, the other thing that I think has also been notable that I just want to point out too is the pace of the game. He has been equal to it or ahead of it in some cases, which has been. A very positive development because I don't think we saw that last year. One of the players I think we talked about out of the summer camps, more in relation to the chemistry with Frank Nazer, was Isaac Howard. And I wonder if maybe we should give a little more attention to just him as a standalone player and what he might add. You, you talked about the power play units, Corey. I mean, this is a player who, certainly in his draft year, had a pretty big offensive impact for that NTDP team. Right. We're, we, as we sit here right now, Chris and I don't really know which of their power play units is actually power play one, power play two. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think they know either. I think this might be one of those uh, uh, junior teams where they're going to put the unit out that's the most fresh and not the one that necessarily they think is the best. Maybe they figure that unit out by the end of the tournament and into the games that really matter. But Howard is flanking on one of the units. You know, you know I think he's opposite Cutter Goche on the on the Correct. other side yeah. and Lane mm-hmm. Hudson. You know, so if you had to pick between power play one, probably the guy with the two world championship uh, resumes uh, on that unit. And, you know, he's been a little bit better, you know, this season at Michigan State than he was the previous year at Minnesota Duluth. I still think you worry about him a little bit with his size and a lack of true uh, top end speed in his game. But in a uh, scoring role in with, with power play time, I think you can see him having success. Like I don't think he's going to be your best forward on a really deep group of forwards. I think he's shown throughout the season uh, that he could help 
this team in a very particular role. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we have been kind of talking about would he make the team if Rucker McGordy is not is, is healthy? And and now I think it's that's not the question anymore. I don't think that that is a question. You know, played a little bit with with Frank Nazar and Gavin Brindley on what we assume would be a third line for this team. Um, you know, and and I I thought that Isaac has looked better here in this this summer or this uh, winter camp than he did in the summer, even though he looked pretty good there too. Um, so you know, I think that he's he's really rediscovered his game. And you know, we we talk about that PP one where you have. That, that group, and then you just go to PP2 and Jimmy Snuggerud and Will Smith and Seamus Casey, if that's two, if we want to call that two, you know, that it, it is incredible. And to be able to trot those two groups out and when, when you know, that we thought maybe, you know, McGordy could replace Howard, you know, in that, in that power play one. No, he, that's not what happened. <laughs> Nobody got replaced because they were really clicking. So, um, and obviously special teams is so important in a short tournament. So, you know, that, that's going to continue to be a, a big factor is, is, is a, his impact there. You talked about the uncertainty we had around the D this summer, Chris. And, and part of that, you know, is has started to answer itself. And, and maybe the biggest answer that has come around is a guy that David Carl is extremely familiar with. It's his own defenseman, his own freshman defenseman at Denver, Zeev Booyam, who now looks like he's going to play a big role for this. A bit, yeah, I think I think it's pretty clear at this point that they like him as a top four defenseman here. Um, you know, playing on the same pairing as James Casey. And now, if you're an opposing forward trying to forecheck those two guys, you're gonna have to catch them first. You know, like that's that's kind of amazing. And and you know, I think that this U.S. team is going to be built on quickness, puck possession, moving pucks up ice. And we've seen Zeev Booyam do that very effectively. I think at times he's looked exceptional in this camp. He made a number of plays on Friday that where where he was stick handling in a phone booth, where he was getting through players. There's still that element of risk in his game, and you might not get the best defensive shifts all the time. But he's he and David Carl have talked about how hard he has worked on his defensive game and and how it is improving. And I think that we're starting to see that a little bit here as well. But this is not a big blue line, and there was no way they could manufacture size because. There just aren't the, the the age group did not dictate this. So you've got three of your top defensemen are you know six six footer or shorter. You know like and Ryan Chesley's like the biggest one at six oh six maybe six oh and a half six one. Um, you know and that's your top four. So you know those guys are gonna have to play big minutes and and they're gonna get a lot of pressure. But the way that Z Booyam has played at this camp, it just I think it's so it, it's it's a continuation of how he's played all season for one. And two, it's just the, the maturation in his game and watching the other players just kind of get excited about what he's doing um, is pretty impressive as well. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated by Zeev. I think that, you know, he could really open a lot of eyes in terms of what his his ultimate draft stock is for this year. Um, but I think he's a far better player now than he was at last year's U18 World Championship and, and at this last summer camp. And, you know, I, I don't know what to attribute that to. Aside from the fact that, you know, I think there's a lot of confidence there, and he's he's playing at another level. Yeah, like I said, I think Zeev, Zeev, Hudson, Casey are all outstanding with the puck in different ways. Casey with the shiftiness, with his skating and his skill. Hudson is, you know, just as that elite offensive hockey sense. Um, you know, great edge work makes guys miss makes a ton of plays. Zeev, he does as not he's a good skater, not as dynamic a skater as the other two, but you know, he's this exceptionally smart, really skilled, 
these kind of plays. I do think when you look at Team USA, that is, even though I think the situation on the blue line has improved due to just how good Casey has looked this season, how continuously good Hudson is continuing on his great freshman year, and the improvements that you've seen by just how good Z Boyum has been at the college level right away. I do I still think when you look at Team USA, it is the biggest issue. I think you compare it to, say, Team Canada's blue line, who has a small puck mover in Denton Matejak, but they also could trot out their Maverick Lamoureux. They could trot out their Noah Warren and Tristan Luno and Oliver Bong, more traditional top blue line prospects that you want at the junior level. Whereas I think, you know, Team USA has an edge on them in goal. They have an edge on them at forward. But I think it's whether they will be able to check the top forwards that Team Canada will roll out there and the Team Sweden will roll out there will be the biggest uh, still question for this team, even if it's maybe not as dreadful a situation as we thought it was going to be in the summer. Yeah, and, and just to that point, too, the, the puck possession and then, you know, when you're actually having to do static defense in your in your defensive zone, when the other team has the puck, when you don't have the puck possession, you know, you, you do start to worry how easily are these teams going to get to the middle, how easily are they going to be able to position themselves in front of USA's outstanding goaltenders. You know, that's going to be the key because, you know, we are going to be playing on a bigger ice surface here, too. But the game is still one between the face-off dots, and that's where maybe you start to have some concern. And, and David Carl talked a little bit about that today in terms of what it actually meant for uh, for Team USA to to have you know not have the size. He's like, you know, this is the this is what the age group kind of dictated. So it's going to be incumbent upon them to find a way to you know defend, use body position, use active sticks, different things like that to to be more effective. But they're not, they're going to lack the heaviness for sure. That being said, this is kind of similar to the, same part, the conversation we had about their blue line last season. Different players, you know, there's maybe a little more depth on this one. They don't have the Luke Hughes on this one. Yeah. But it was the same kind of mantra we got is that, you know, this is going to be a small blue line. We're going to move pucks. We're going to be competitive. And really, at the end of the day, when they had to get into the tough games, it didn't work out for them in that regard. Right. I, I, and that's why I, I do worry when you have to go for the games. Delabrini and, and Kargiki and, and Matt Savoy and, and Brian Yeager uh, and well, or Sweden when, when the Oslin and, and Edstrom and Beast that are coming up against you, whether this group will be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a quick break there and we will uh, come back with the mailbag. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back, and we're going to wrap things up today with a mailbag. Good round of questions today, so shout out to the listeners. Uh, and the first one is from Jenna, who wants to know, Corey, who made the final Team Canada roster that you were convinced had little to no chance before camp, and who got cut that a week ago would have been incomprehensible? I really didn't know Owen Allard, the four from Sault Ste. Marie, well at all. And I had watched a couple of Sioux games in passing this season, but that's the team. I need. Obviously, they've been winning a lot of games this season in the OHL. I got to dive into that team more here in the second half. Um, I would, you know, tune in to watch a couple of guys, see how Andrew Gibson's progress has been, Detroit pick, and Andrew Carkey, the Vegas pick. But I, I got to maybe watch him a little bit more because he looked uh, quite good at the Canada camp, strong skater, good work ethic, made the, the occasional play. Offensive touch isn't amazing in his game, but there's you know he didn't make Team Canada. Uh, you know, as an undeserving player, he looked very good at the camp. Obviously, he's been helping the, the Greyhounds win a lot of games. 
Um, and and uh, so the, he definitely stood out in a very positive way. Among the cuts, I, I wasn't shocked by any of the cuts. We discussed Perkins earlier in the episode. I thought he could make the team, didn't have a good camp. He goes home. I thought Denver Barkey and Ty Nelson both had good camps, but I understood why they were cut. Nelson's a very small defenseman. Barkey's a, a small forward who also is an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old. And I just thought, you know, looking at this team, first on Nelson's uh, point, you know, they have already um, Denton Matejchuk. They have Tristan Luno. They liked Oliver Bonk more than Nelson as a puck mover. So Nelson needed to make this team as a 5'9", 5'10", whatever he is, defenseman. He needed to be in an offensive role. He wasn't good. He was good, but not good enough to be in that offensive role. That's why I think he went home. They prefer a bigger guy like Noah Warren, like Oliver Bonk, ahead of him. And then in terms of Barkey, um, like I said, I think good player, competed well, showed good pace, made some plays. And then we actually kind of try to put together the roster and, and where does he fit in the roster? What role does he play on this roster? I think he ran out of spots. You know, they, they had Easton Cowan, his London teammate, in there more in that bottom six penalty kill type of role. I think that was the job he was kind of competing for. He wasn't taking Owen Beck's role, wasn't taking Brandon Yeager's job. Uh, so I think while Barkey played well, that he is more of a next year realistic candidate. Uh, Swashbuckler wants to know, we'll start with Chris on this one, who the best rookie prospect in the AHL is two and a half months into this season. Suggestions are Stankoven and Brant Clark. Yeah. Do you have an alternative? No, I like that suggestion. I, I think Logan Stankoven has been awesome this year. The, the little bit of the AHL that I've watched, every time I watch Texas, he is a standout performer. You know, I think obviously the production has been there. We we already knew, like, you know, the compete is there. You know, he's he's got the skill. He's got the hockey sense. Um, you know, he's in a situation right now where he's in an organization that has the luxury of, of being patient with him. Um, and and not real a uh, real need to rush him, um, so I think that that's that's a a really solid guy in there. You know, another guy that that you know I'm sure we'll talk about a few guys, but another guy that that has stood out to me in, in viewings is Nikita Chipperkov. I've seen the elements of his game that made him stand out to me um, in his draft year, where you know there's there's obviously some scoring ability there. He's close to a point per game so far this season, um, and has played you know, well, um, but, you know, he also still has that kind of that competitive fire a little bit in him. And, you know, he, he can be a little bit mean at times and you don't see that at times. It's hard for a younger player to do that at, at the pro level, but I don't think that he's overwhelmed by anything that's kind of come his way. So, but yeah, but I mean, you know, you look at, at Stankoven, 29 points in 22 games so far this season and, you know, 1.32 points per game for a first year AHL player. Obviously we knew, as as a as one of the top junior players, you know, and, and the top CHL player in terms of award winning, um, you know, he was going to be an impact guy at the AHL level, and that's exactly what he's been so far. If, if not even better than we expected him to be, right? And obviously, you're thinking about pro prospect. That that was the question. You know, obviously, Brent Clark has the size variable on him, and the offense that he's shown this season has been quite significant. We know he's always had offense, but look how good it was in the OHL last year. A ton of offense. He goes American mm-hmm. League still. One of the top offensive defensemen in the AHL right away, uh, you know. But while he's bigger, you know, I think Stan Coven. I think Clark competes hard, but Stan Coven's got that real yes, fire in him, yes. and I think he does. Well, Clark's feet are a question; they're not a question with Stan Coven, which is why I think he will translate and be a very good NHL player one day. And Texas is winning a ton of games yeah. this season. The play of Stan Coven, the play of Maverick Bork, who's not a rookie, a second-year player, yeah. but really finding a stride now in the American League. Those two have been a big reason why Texas has been so successful uh, this season. 
But, you know, like I said, Clark is up there. I think Matt Corrin, obviously, you know, probably an underrated story is how good Connor Zary has been with the Flames this season. I think we thought it would be Matt Coronado would be there. It didn't Zary instead. Matt mm-hmm. Coronado, who's been in the American League, has been very good. You know, it's just, a, you know, and now I think you wonder when Jacob Peltier comes back, comes back, where, where does he fit now in, in this team? There's a lot of competition now for spots in Calgary, at least up forward. Yeah, but for my, I would agree with you. For me, it would be Stan Coleman, but I, I understand why someone would take Clark as well. Yeah, for sure. All right, next one is from Bottom Line Hockey, who wants to know if Pavel Mintyukov's emergence has surprised you and whether you think Olin Zellweger still has top pairing potential on the Ducks. I don't know if he has top pairing potential, but I think, you know, among those top rookies you just mentioned, I think you have to put Zellweger in there. I think, you know, whether it's him, whether it's Logan Mayu, uh, you know, I think they've, you know, he's been among the top rookie uh, defensemen in the American League this season, uh, you, know, you know, playing, you know, good minutes, contributing offense. Uh, you know, I don't know a first pair, but I think. He could be maybe be a second pair guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you're hoping. Obviously, the size is a major, major question. You know, I've talked to the odd, to the odd scout though who sees some shades of the kind of you know where Sam Gerrard was at the same age. They're hoping that Zellweger can be that similar type of player in the NHL and limited defensively, but has so much offense that you're willing to live with it. In terms of Minchikov, yes, very surprised. Uh, not because yeah, I didn't think he was a very good player. Still, always you know still rated highly going into the summer. Thought he'd be a top four defenseman. I think he's going to be this good. I think he's got something like 15 points already in the NHL record, playing a major role on Anaheim. Even when I saw that their training camp, I thought he was good. I didn't think he was like, wow good. I didn't think, I thought Zellweger was just as good. Luno had some good moments. Um, you know, I, I didn't think he was clearly separated from the from uh, the pack when I saw Anaheim's camp. But clearly, you know, he's been one of the best rookies in the NHL this season. Skates really well, moves puck really well, extremely skilled. Um, and I think you know we were. Uh, I think as I think Chris and I were having a good discussion the other day about the 22 class. You know, we were talking about Slavkovsky versus Cooley, you know, Slavkovsky versus Wright. And, you know, now I think, you know, as we get deep into the season, I think there's really, has, this class has always lacked a lot of clarity who's the number one prospect. I think it's even less clear right now of how good Minchikov has been and how good Korczynski has been in the NHL. Now, Cooley had the most points out of them out of that group this year in the NHL. But I think Michikov's like one or two points fewer than Cooley this season. Yeah, I think you I think you can make a non-crazy argument. Korchinski's the best player from that draft class. You can make a non-crazy argument. Michikov's the best player from that draft class. Because I just think it was always so close, and now I think it's even closer. All right. Next one is from Charlie Douglas, Chris. He wants to know. He says Zeb Williams seems to push himself into top 10 discussion. You can answer that one first if you want. But he says if he has a strong world junior and maintains his play and production in DU, does he have a chance at going top five? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a good question and and I get it. You know, I think Zeev is he's been listed at six two by Denver. He's not. <laughs> no. Uh so just FYI. Generous would be six oh. Generously six foot, yeah. And and honestly, like and so as we've saw last draft, as we've seen in previous drafts, the go the, the defensemen that are in that range are not gonna go top ten, typically. Yeah. Yeah. Not you know you have to be a special player, Quinn certain, Hughes. You know Quinn yeah. Hughes, and, yeah, exactly. And Quinn was exceptional feet. I think Zeev's feet are good; they're not amazing. They're good, but, yeah. but he had much more offense than Quinn did at the same age. More and, skill, yeah. And, and say, showing more offense in college, he's contributing more to a team's success than Quinn did at the same age. That's very true, and I think that's a great point. And and he is like it's it's not out of the question. We're just talking. We've got a, a, a draft class with a lot of different defensemen with the size factor. And offensive capability. So 
you don't see, you know, and, and the draft has started to trend away a little bit from some of the, the quote unquote undersized defensemen. Um, but what Zeev Booyam is doing this year in college hockey is ahead of what Lane Hudson was doing last year. And we were talking about how not since Brian Leach had a U19 defenseman been this effective. And now Zeev is better, like, I'm, you know, in a 40-game season, he's on pace to push past what Lane Hudson did last season. So he has already matched Quinn's goal total and surpassed his assist total from Quinn's freshman year at Michigan. And we are. It is December 15th. That's hilarious. Yeah. I, I know. I think it's a, you know it's a great debate on him because like you said, you have these other you know you know you even in college there's another defenseman in college that we think is probably going to go ahead of Zeevoy yeah. and Artem Lashunov. Never mind all the other great defensemen like Sam Dickinson, like Anton Salaya, uh, like Karyak and Chuck. It's an extremely deep group of defensemen. I think kind of with, with Zeev, you know. I think top five is a little rich personally for me right now, but I think top 10 is a discussion you have to have. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have him there right now, but I think especially once you get to the other side of the world, junior is kind of like the question you're asking. I think you have to have real serious conversations depending on how well he plays there. Um, Because I think, you know, with Z, when I saw him at the program uh, the previous year, he thought, oh, this guy's pretty smart. He's got skills. He's a good skater. He's not the flashiest player in the world, but he's talented. Then you watch him in Denver this year, you're like, okay, he's not just talented. He's super talented. He's yeah. super intelligent. Like, he's he's driving things. He's helping a top college team win games in a meaningful manner. Uh, so I think, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, 6061 defensemen that went there. You probably start thinking of names you don't love, like like uh, Adam Bokvist. But there might be some rhymes like Evan Bouchard, you right. know, in terms of the elite hockey sense, the, you know, not going to be the best defender in the world, but that. Bouchard went around 10. I think, you know, 9 to 13 is kind of the area I think that Z's going to go in the draft. And that is starting to look like that, you know, 9 to 13 players deep is starting to look like kind of that top group kind of cutoff here, which is a little stronger than I think I thought coming in. I I turned on this draft where I thought it was mediocre maybe even leaning below yeah. average, down leaning above average because of the play of Z's boy, because of how good Sam Dickinson has been this year, because of the emergence of Anton Salayev in Russia. Carter Yakubchuk is killing it in the Western League right now. Caden Lindstrom's on fire right now in the Western Hockey League. Really, the only guy going the other direction is Cole Eisenman, who we thought was probably going to be a top three pick. I would be not If the draft happened today, I don't think he's going in the top five, personally, mm-hmm. just because of all these other great defensemen. And and frankly, you know, Lindstrom's a center. You know, Teams will prefer centers and defensemen to the scoring wingers. Right. So, you know, I think you look at Demidov and look at Eisenman, just because they're scoring wingers, unless, they're, unless their second halves are just... Absolutely fantastic. I, I think some of those 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 demon, you know, I didn't even mention Lepshunov when I was going through yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. It's a great, it's such a yeah, and that's the thing. Like this, this class is is really risen. You know, they they've turned, and I think part of it is because of that, that depth of the defensive group and, and the fact the quality of that defensive group, which so many teams are gonna be ex- especially excited about. So yeah, but I mean, you know, to see Z Booyam. I there was I mean I was thinking even coming into the year did you think that like he was a first round prospect but was he no but he was kind of more bubble yeah I was talking to yeah. plenty of scouts he didn't have as a first rounder coming into the year now the question is you know does he go ahead of Eisenman does he go ahead of Lashunov like where does he fit in the right. US in the USA rankings I think is more the question right now for Z yeah incredible. One of my favorite things about uh, the hosting this show is that sometimes when we do these mailbags, a listener will ask a question about a prospect I've never heard of. And I not only have to figure out how to say their name, but to figure out who they are in time to ask this question. 
So Van City Prospects, congrats to you for the latest edition of that. Corey, Vasily Atanasov. Did I get that one right? Yes. All right. Uh, how good will he be when he comes to North America? And for the listeners out there who, like me, have no idea who that is, 21-year-old uh, forward in Russia who is going absolutely crazy for Torpedo with nearly a point per game in the KHL. And I've watched a lot of Torpedoes here because it's so live, because Nikita Artamanov is on that team. And you watch that team, and Atanasov has stood out in a real significant manner, scoring some highlight real gold. He's a really good skater. A little bit on the small side, I think he's like 5'9", 5'10". Credits to NHL Central Scouting. They had him rated as a B-rated player at one point in his draft season. He went undrafted still. Maybe someone should have listened to them because I think he looks like a really strong NHL prospect right now. He is not a free agent. He can't be drafted this summer. He can't. He's not a free agent this summer. He will be a free agent the following summer. Even though he's not quite as big as Kuzmenko, maybe an inch or two shorter, uh, still very, very skilled, better skater. I think this is going to be the kind of guy, like the next free agent that everyone's going to be on top of, like Mikheyev, like Kuzmenko. He's going to have a lot of interest. And again, how high he projects, I'd say more middle six wing right now. But you know, if you get a free middle six wing, you'll take it on an entry level contract. Um, and so I think, you know, like I said, Torpedo's winning a lot of games this year, uh, and he's been a significant reason why. All right, final question of the day. Uh, John Burner wants to know, what's with these inflated beef jerky prices? I think ideally, to answer this, we would have an economist. Instead, we have the next best thing. We have an Iowan. <laughs> so, Chris, Peters, it comes to you. What uh, is with these inflated beef jerky prices? Um, I, I'm not an economist. I am. I'm not an Iowan by birth. I do live there. Uh, a lot of cows. We're more of a pig. Oh. We're more of a hog. Uh, a hog state. Hog uh, there are more hogs than there are people in Iowa. Shout out to uh, the hogs in Iowa. Um, but I, I mean, here's here's the thing. You know, the, we we you, you got you love beef jerky, right? Who yeah, doesn't love beef jerky? I mean, you got to have it, right? Uh, that's a that, there's a process involved in that. You got to dry that stuff out. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to give you a very technical explanation here. Um, that's about as far as my beef jerky knowledge goes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in terms of these, uh, inflated beef jerky prices, um, I got nothing. I have literally zero idea. So I hope that, uh, whoever asked this question directs it maybe to somebody that's familiar with commodities or perhaps, you know, just, you can go to a farm maybe mm -hmm. and ask this question, um, ask a cow. Or, but I mean, a hockey podcast, I could understand why you would ask a hockey podcast. I could understand. And the best answer that you could have realistically helped for, to be honest. Yeah. That, that is going to do it for us. Uh, thanks Got for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Thanks again to Scott Wheeler for joining us earlier. You can catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and on his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. And for the rest of us, you can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. Actually, that one's for all of us. For the rest of us, Right now through the end of the year, you can gift a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $19.99 or a two-year subscription for $39.99 when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.